continuing our contemplation of dukkha, having trouble finding a resting place (laughs) in the universe that keeps changing and dissolving. But being encouraged that everything is teaching us if we if we open our eyes, come and look. It's one of the characteristics of the Dhamma. It's always inviting us. The Dhamma's the way things really are. The true nature is, is apparent. It's here and now. It's inviting us. But it, it does require Pachatang, something from our side, requires us to open our eyes, to look, to inquire, to taste the quality of experience for ourselves. Yesterday, last night, Tanisra laid out the teaching on the Four Noble Truths, which is the Core, a core teaching without which there's no liberation from birth and death. It's sometimes Arya Satcha, sometimes translated as noble truth, but I like the, I don't know who first did it, but uh, I like the term that actually they're, they're not static things, they're not things. There are more dynamic processes and exhortations for practice. So in a way, one could translate them as ennobling truths, which I think is very, very useful. The problem with the, the noun, the noble truth, is you have it, you remember it, you've got it. Okay, I know that. Now what's next? Noble truth, surely emptiness is deeper. Let's going to emptiness and higher emptiness and higher emptiness and uh, yes it's, it's useful to learn the noble truths to memorize them but then as we start to understand them we'll, we'll get a feeling for this dynamic process this relationship these truths are inviting and exhorting us to have a dynamic relationship with our experience and it's, and it's giving us several dimensions, four dimensions of our experience, or four mirrors on our experience, so that when we're in that situation, it's encouraging us to, to, uh, to respond in that way. You know, at first, each of the uh, ennobling truths has a dispassionate declaration there is suffering, there is dukkha. In a way, sometimes this is called the first turning of the wheel. There is dukkha, there is a cause for dukkha, it it has an origin, it arises. That experience of craving, thirsting, grasping. There is a cessation of, of 
dukkha. There is the experience of non-suffering, non-grasping, non-birth and death. The third noble truth, the fourth noble truth or nobling truth, there is a path. But uh, sometimes the second turning is, in, is encouraging us to, to then dynamically in moments here and now when there is suffering, that second turning of the wheel, how it, it really b- begins to go against the stream. You know, the wheel gets momentum so that we start to get a sense for the stream of dharma, the stream of truth, the stream of aligning ourselves with the way things really are. Is, is The second turning is, yes, there is suffering and it needs to be understood. As Tanisha was last night, elucidating. Suffering needs to be opened to. The origin of suffering, that clinging, grasping, rejecting, needs to be abandoned, needs to be let go of, needs to be dispassionately recognized for what it is, the origin of suffering. Realizing the heat there, the burning there, we let go. So this exhortation that when we, when we recognize and encounter, ah, there's suffering, can I open to this? Ah, there's craving, grasping, clutching, rejecting. The second ennobling truth is like a mirror, it's like a flashing sign that, that, that's, that's reminding us to, to deepen beyond our habitual response, reminding us, is it possible to actually let that be in the mind's craving or recoiling from something in aversion? The third ennobling truth is encouraging us to notice those moments and taste those moments when there is no craving, no aversion, no grasping, no rejecting. Can we taste peace? Can we know? What is it? What is the nature of reality when we're not being hijacked by this this flood of, or being swept away by this flood it's imagining that, that our fulfillment is, is when we get that. That our peace is when we get rid of them or it. When that's not there. When we're not being swept. The ending of suffering needs to be realized, tasted, known. This path leading to the end of suffering, this path of mindfulness, path of virtue, samadhi, seeing into things the way they are, this path of uh, mindfulness and clear comprehension needs to be developed. And Tanisara was, uh, was reminding us, of, uh, as we were in the monasteries many, many times, that this path is, uh, this, these teachings are very tangible. 
accessible. It's not asking us to to believe in Nibbana. Come on, you can say it, Jacqueline. I believe in Nibbana. Come on, you can do it. Don't be shy. Get out there and just say it. Oh, I, I believe in Nibbana. Oh, that's not enough. That's not enough oomph. Come on. I believe in Nibbana. The Buddha didn't ask us to believe in anything. He didn't say believe in Nibbana. I mean, that, that, that already flopped. I'm the world transcender. He probably didn't say it with that edge. I'm the world transcender. But it was nevertheless. The guy shook his head and said, fine for you, and then went the other way. He thought, there's a nutcase over here. And so though a certain faith that there is some such thing as peace is helpful. It is helpful to trust that transformation is possible. But to start out by, by getting people to assert and, and believe, the Buddha contemplated that. That wasn't very skillful. And that actually the, the true nature of things comes by fully meeting and understanding life as it is. Therefore, the ennobling truth goes right it's like when you cut through an onion, you don't get to the center first. You cut through, penetrate right through the layers, each layer as it's manifesting right in front of us. Starting with the most obvious. So when we chant, this chant's very helpful in the recollection of the Triple Jewel. Having heard the teaching, we know this. It lists the eight classical, actually they don't have all eight here, but almost, the eight classical definitions of dukkha. Birth is dukkha. Aging is dukkha. Sickness is dukkha. Death is dukkha. Being associated with what you don't want to be with is dukkha. Being separated from the loved or the liked is dukkha. Not getting what one wants is dukkha. In short, the five focuses of grasping mind. No, no. Birth. The, 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 this, this, the word to, to relate to very everyday experiences. We might know birth is not dukkha. No, 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 it's wonderful, it's coming into life, it's the, it's, well, yeah, but my sister-in-law wanted the perfect birth, and she planned all these wonderful things, planning for it, but then I can't remember how many hours when the, my dear, the baby got stuck. She was in agony, it was difficult. Yes, there's an aspect to coming into life that's, that's wonderful, but it was painful. It was painful for my brother, too. And it probably, I'm not sure, it probably was no picnic for Zoe when she was caught in there through all that. Now, I can't remember, but it probably is a little cramped in there. But birth is, is, is 
not easy to bear. That's another definition of dukkha, not easy to bear. Old age, we can think, oh, that's not dukkha. Well, most of us here have a sense of starting to have a sense of that. When Tanisha and I have our mantra, it's now fading a bit, but when we used to get up in the morning, the aching back and this and that, a heavy body, it's too difficult. It's challenging to be with our teeth as they go bad, our eyes as they deteriorate, our backs as they stiffen up. Sickness. Death. Whether we're experiencing it, it's not, not necessarily easy. Or whether we're witnessing it of a loved one. Being unified with what you don't want to be with. Are these very metaphysical, far-out things. The Buddha is encouraging his classical list. These are the classical list. Being united with the unloved. When you like being warm and it's cold. When you like being with your friend and the one person you didn't want to be with. the dinner party, you were thinking, oh my goodness. The host says, oh, don't you know each other? And then they set you right down next to the person you did not want to be with. Separated from the loved, united with the unloved, not getting what you want. Wanting a peaceful meditation and having the chainsaw go off. You didn't know it, but we had a little drama here. I just happened to find out on one of my morning walks. Jimson, the Zulu caretaker next door, just informed me, oh, they're going to be cutting all the gum trees next door for two months. I said, Jimson, these people from all these countries have come for the peace and tranquility I've had an ongoing with the owner's thing, but I, I phoned him up, and usually he, anyway, I just said, please, can't you renegotiate? Those trees have been sitting there for years. Harry, can't you hand out earmuffs? <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, that's a possibility, Grant, yeah. says, well, any I have pleaded, and he finally agreed to try to reschedule. Now, we could have worked with it. We could have worked with it, but it's not easy working with a team of chainsaws when you're sitting quietly, breathing in and breathing out. (laughs) That would have been not getting what you want. But even so, I have no illusions. We're not always going to get what we want. That was a small success, but there are, I'm sure, other challenges as we all are facing every day when you don't get what you want. And the Buddha says, all these experiences, 
Usually we blame them, wrestle with them, do what we can to improve them. Okay, okay, that's not bad. But if we're really on a transcendent path, at some point it's important just to open right to that experience as an ennobling truth, as something that the wise ones have told us, wait a minute, wait a minute, I just hate that. What if I open to it? I mean, allow it into experience. As a teacher, as something that can, can transform us. As something that, that leads inwards, leads onwards. To understand, to stand under, to be with. Because if you're not with something, you won't understand it. We, we, and, and this tendency, even from when children, you know, we, we tend to seek the solution. When we don't like something, the solution is, is somewhere else. And that's not a bad thing. It's useful to be able to change course. But when that becomes compulsive and unconscious, it's not, it's not helpful. Just like, and, and mothers need to have some peace. How many times have you been on a train or a, or a plane or something, and a child's throwing a fit in the desperate parent will get out some keys or something and jangle them. And whatever the kid was upset about, he's oftentimes he gets fascinated by that. Oh. <sighs> Mom and Dad takes a sigh of relief and has a little moment's peace just to rest for a minute. And that's not a bad thing. But when we really think about, remember this teaching on the two arrows, you know, how often when there's something painful or not easy to bear, we, the solution then is in finding something pleasing. We don't realize that that's a second arrow because we're accumulating an underlying tendency toward greed, toward lust, toward desire, toward the idea that there really is a resting place an abiding place, a home over there, or over there, or over there. Or the opposite. We think you're the problem. What's called vipavadanha, that craving to, if I just get rid of you, this pain, this thought, this person, this circumstance, this enemy, then there will be peace. And that's what's called the wheel of samsara. Because how many times then do we get what we want? In the extreme case, mommy, mommy, if you give me that. Fire trucks don't work anymore. Mommy, mommy, if you give me that iPod. I'll never want anything again. I'll be happy forever. Or if I imagine that I am, and I'm glad I stopped the team of chainsaws. But if I really think that's the end of suffering, I thought we would have enough suffering to work with without a crew of chainsaws. I could have thought, well, no, that's their karma. It would have been my karma too, I guess. And who knows, he might change his mind, but he's, he, they, he, 
they seem to have been called off. But by hanging out with the experience of any one of them, not getting what you want, wanting a peaceful meditation, and the ankle's hurting. That's my good ankle. Why are you hurting? Oh, God, what's going on? And to just be with that, listening to the voices, being with that sensation that so quickly you're not with the sensation anymore, you're with the judgment about it. It shouldn't be there. What's wrong? Well, what's going on? In understanding it, in being with that, opening to that, one has the opportunity what gets revealed is the second ennobling truth. We start to see that that suffering is fed, it's perpetuated, it's juiced by the continual thinking it shouldn't be this way, the pushing it away, or wanting it to be different. It's already an ennobling truth if we have uh, suffering and aren't feeding into the idea of being ashamed of it or feeling like it's some big failure or getting lost in blaming someone, if we can just remember our ennobling truth. It's a path to true understanding, to true compassion. If we can just be reminded of that, of hanging out even for a few moments with what's not easy to bear with, a painful back, a restless mind, not getting what we want. Even in just those moments, there's already patience being generated. There's already capacity, the capacity, the... We're finding the capacity, is the best word I know, the... Our capacity to bear reality to be with the realities, deepened, stretched, broadened. And then we start to discover that we're not just those screaming voices. Yes, we hear the screaming voices and they seem like me. If I don't do this, I'm going to die. then we can start to sense the fever from having to believe them and to sense the relief of being able to notice that they well up and subside as we actually practice letting, letting that grasping and rejecting be, letting it be, letting it come, letting it go. This is an ancient, ancient symbol. It's the same teaching of the, in Christianity, the cross, the suffering of the cross. When one stays, when, when Jesus says, pick up the cross, what does that mean? He means open to suffering by staying through the experience of suffering with an open heart, an interested heart, a non-blaming heart. This miracle of resurrection, there's a, a new recognition can come out of that. through the gateway. 
through the gateway. Because suffering is not a permanent condition. It's not a reality, an unchanging reality. It's a conditioned reality. When certain conditions are present, then suffering appears. When those conditions cease, suffering disappears. When clinging, grasping is present, suffering manifests. When that deluded grasping dissolves, suffering disappears. And the shining, unmanifested, undying Dhamma becomes recognized. It's always been there. So in a sense, we're bowing to our suffering. Being humble enough to learn from our suffering. And the bowing is it's just as a gesture. It's, it's, not, it's, a, it's a, an image, a simile of that when we really bow into open ourselves to that which is not easy to be with, we then find a ground, we find a solid place. The story Tanisha and I remember a lot is it concerns a dear friend of ours who was the abbot of Chithurst, uh, Ajahn Ananda. And um, he he was a Vietnam veteran and uh, amazingly survived that war, got the back of his head blown off and was blind for a while and came back, had a big hole in the back of his head, so there was this dent in his skull when he would shave his head. He'd have to be careful of that, or the piece of the skull was gone. And a great monk. Uh, so when it, he really woke up to the insanity of war and, and the insanity of being misled, he got interested in awakening. And um, so he was the abbot of Chithurst and was training all of us to be uh, monks and nuns. And, but he had another young, there was a nun, another young American, I don't know if he was a monk or a novice, uh, but they just didn't get along. And um, this young one liked his independence. and Anyway, something happened at one point, and uh, Anando just got furious with the guy and just said, uh, found, because he, he was a Marine, he just found his fists coming up, and he said, come on, let's go outside. And so they both were just heading outside, and it was going to be on the front lawn, and that would have been quite exciting. And he was in rage, and he was uh, just going to finally put this guy in his place. And the other guy was going to show he's not someone who gets put into their place. And, uh, but, uh, but Ananda, right in the middle of that fire, a, a flashing light went off somewhere. And in the middle of that fire, I think he just saw the seduction. Just, you know, the end of suffering really is just punching this guy's nose in. That's the end of suffering. The world will be a better place. 
he just saw the, the craziness. So in that moment, he saw the suffering. In that moment, he saw the clinging. And in that moment, he just, much to his own astonishment, put his hands together and bowed to the other monk. Just, and, the, and the other monk just, they both and just started crying. Now, this wasn't a permanent solution to their problem. But it was it was beautiful. It was it was a such a falling away for a window of time. There was rage, and in that moment of just honoring the suffering, honoring the rage, and letting it be just that rage, and then bowing into it, finding that ground of of letting go, finding that ground of inner listening. Finding that ground of compassion, we're all suffering. We're all just suffering. So really practicing today in ordinary ways, still staying with our mindfulness practice of sitting, standing, walking, lying down, using the breath to come here. But then when we encounter that which is not easy to be with, to allow ourselves to bow into it, to open to it, to receive it, and get a sense for the pushing and pulling. You get a sense for the mind that's really looking for a condition, some condition, some feeling, some sight, some thought, some sound that we can just hold on to and be at ease there. But we, if we notice how each breath keeps dissolving, each sound keeps dissolving, each thought keeps dissolving, incredible crystal clear morning, this morning, suddenly the fog moved in. If you look for certainty in that which is actually uncertain, you're bound to suffer, to keep contemplating this changing nature. The eighth and most profound definition of suffering is, in short, the five focuses of the grasping mind are dukkha. But the key, the key one to keep reflecting on is when the mind grasps at any form, any feeling, any perception, any thought, any impulse, and takes birth there, imagines it can build a house there. We're bound to suffer because it is conditions nature to become otherwise. That is what conditions do. They have to do that. That's their nature. The in-breath becomes the out-breath. We might wish, oh, the in-breath is so vital. It's so fresh. It's, it's pure. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if there was only in-breath? I mean, in-breath, out-breath. Dawn, dusk. 
being pleased, being displeased, pleasure and pain, praise and blame, success and failure, they're all natural, absolutely natural. So when they're when people would complain about, oh, why do I have to go through this? Ajahn Sumedho, our teacher, would say, well, because you were born. When you get born, if you identify with something as yours, any condition, if you take something as yours, then one has to experience old age, sickness, death. Because if you take a condition, the next moment as that condition changes, one has to create time. One has to, all these things, birth and death, all come from claiming claiming something, claiming something is mine, me and mine, which actually isn't ours. It actually belongs to Dharma, belongs to Mother Nature, belongs to, to the Dharma. It's not mine. We can call it mine, but it's not mine. This body is not mine. So actually, old age, sickness, death are all things which are teaching us. So the Buddha called them heavenly messengers. We take these difficult things, they can actually take us to the divine, take us to the undying. They can actually teach us if we're open to it. So even all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me, is a dispassionate remembering that everything we see, this body, our friends, our loved ones, it is their nature, just like this moment, to keep becoming otherwise. So Ajahn Chah really encouraged us to contemplate death every day. Is a way of aligning ourselves with truth. And we can even, and this came from the Buddha, even begin to experience birth and death in a moment. In-breath is like a birth, out-breath is a death. One foot touching is birth, death. There's continual birth and death. Change, change. Uncertainty and change. And as we're with the breath, with coming and going, birth and death, we can get a feeling for letting go, realizing the futility. The futility of, of, of wanting stability in something which is, is shaking all the time. In being with the breathing, breathing in, breathing out, we can really contemplate letting go with each out-breath. Get a feeling for being at ease with birth and death, with the in and out-breath, but letting things come and go. Getting a feeling for resting. In the midst of pain, too. Getting a feeling for pain is natural. Pain and pleasure are natural. Being pleased or displeased.
even with eating, we can learn so much with eating, noticing, even eating something that, like this delicious food we're having here, noticing how hard it is for us to be with the cycle of eating. Can you really be with the beginning and the ending of a mouthful? Notice when one tastes and the, 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 the explosion of sensation of being pleased by something nice when we're eating it. Notice as one's beginning to then swallow and it's starting to subside, how quickly the mind wants to then, not, I don't want that to finish. I want to get something else to keep it going. We're not, we're not, because the heart that's not steeped in Dhamma is not really accepting that there's birth and death. Conditions come and go. So it wants to get another hit. Keep that feeling going. We can actually practice eating a mouthful. And this is challenging. Buddha said someone who can eat, a wi- eat wisely is a v- someone who can understand eating is a very wise person. Chewing, swallowing, watch all that subside. Can we have a moment of just feel feel the pull of having to go to the next? Can we just be with that? Hmm, be interested. As we learn to become dispassionate to the, the welling up of pleasure and the subsiding of pleasure. And then feeling that source of suffering that the second noble truth when we don't get it that wants to rush out and know and have that pleasant feeling again more quickly. That looks so innocent and yet that's the key right there is the key to so much suffering is we lean on, on being pleased, thinking being pleased is a home. Yes, it's skillful to learn how to make things nice. But when we don't see how we're leaning on that, we never find peace because that keeps dissolving. It's actually practice letting things come and go. Practice with the out-breath, being with how things are. And in moments when there's not grasping and not rejecting, can we taste the peace of that? Remembering this suffering is not a permanent condition. It arises through ignorance. The Buddha said, decay and death, monks, is impermanent. Prepared, it's dependently arisen of a nature to get destroyed, to pass away, to fade away and cease. Decay and death. Death itself is an impermanent condition. Death arises from birth, from grasping. As we learn to let go, let things come and go. 
We can taste that which never dies and learn to rest there. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.